we continue on in our service, it's kind of part two from, from last week's sermon as we saw Jesus come in to Jerusalem and how he was treated. And remember last week how we said that uh, man seemingly was in control of the events and of Jesus' life and how they scorned and mocked him and uh, ended up crucifying. We noticed that that's, no, it's, it's God who sovereignly was orchestrating everything that took place as he does all the, all, all the time in all the ways, right? That's what he's doing. Man was acting according to his purposes and his mind, his will. He was carrying that out, as we know from Acts 4. But these are the very things that God had predestined to happen for our salvation. So last week we saw the king enter into Jerusalem and all the fanfare and people shouting, come, oh, Hosanna in the highest. But very quickly we saw his authority challenged. We saw the betrayal. We saw the arrest. We talked about the mocking and the rejection and then he was crucified. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Amen? It was one in a series of ordained events that actually secured just think about that, that actually secured the salvation of all of God's chosen people, all of his elect, all of those who would by faith call on the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? All who would receive, repent, rest on Christ alone for their salvation. And you know what? Even some of those people that were challenging Jesus, that were mocking Jesus, that were shouting out, crucify him, crucify him, would come to faith. We know in the book of Acts that many of the priests did come to faith in Christ. Now, had he remained in the grave, then he would be like every other false prophet, like every other false teacher, like every other false leader that that made claim. I think we had even a meme this morning. This person's in the grave. Buddha's in the grave, right? Was that you, Chad? (laughs) He's in the grave. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And that does make all the difference that he was raised from the dead. So this morning, we are going to see the conquering Christ because he conquered the grave. The commissioning Christ, the king who commissions us as a church to bring forth the gospel and that king who is coming again. Praise God. What a life we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank him that we live in this reality. I'm going to read from Luke. Um, Again, like last week, we're not exegeting the text per se. We're uh, looking at it and going from there. So Luke chapter 24, 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Amen and praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for your precious word. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a living Savior. That, Lord, you have conquered the grave. You defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell. And I pray, Lord, that we... 
are continually reminded and realize the reality and the, and the truth and the depth of what that means for us, not only now, but for all eternity. Not just for us, but for the entire world, for the entire creation, Lord God. So please, bless this message to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. He conquered the grave, didn't he? And he conquered the grave. You know why? Because you couldn't. We cannot conquer the grave. Death comes to all of us, doesn't it? It's so important to understand that we die because that is the penalty of sin. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Surely when you eat of that fruit, you will die. So that's a penalty for sin. We can't overcome the grave. Why? Because we are sinners. We are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by choice. It's very clear in Scripture in Romans chapter 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So that is inherited in us. We're born in sin and trespasses from, from our mother's wombs. David said he was born and conceived in sin. And that sin is manifested in our life. It doesn't take long for sin to show itself, to manifest itself in our lives, does it? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we die. Whenever a person thinks that he or she in some way can earn or merit or gain favor by doing something that they think is good or might actually be very good, you know, that might be kind, gentle, helpful, if they think that that gains favor with God, they show just how lost they really are. So please remember that. When you hear people say, well, I try harder. I try to be a good person. I'm doing my best. I hope God sees what I'm doing. I hope he takes this to, into account. They don't understand the inherited nature of our sin, do they? That we are fallen. That we can't do good. We're not good enough, as hard as we may try. Jesus came precisely because we cannot. Do you understand that? That's so important to, to, to get. He does what we are unable to do. He does perfectly keep the law of God at every point for us. To try harder, to do better, is an insult to Christ, isn't it? Because you're saying, look, Jesus, I'm trying. Here's what I'm giving you. When he's saying, I've already done it all. You can't give me anything to, to take into account. You can't do enough. I have already done it all. So do you see? Do you understand that? He came to live the life that we can never live. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 6 tells us that. He was tempted by Satan. He was tempted by Satan very deliberately because if he would sin even one time, then he would not qualify as Savior. He would be disqualified. He was tempted in every single way. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. Amen. Praise God. That is Jesus' active obedience, walking in perfect righteousness and holiness for our sake. Because we need that righteousness. Because we sin. We have a living Savior. We have a Savior who went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? You know this, because sin needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be accounted for. Sin needs to be atoned for. That's the price that has to be paid. God's justice must be served. 
It's like when a crime is committed. Justice must be served. His wrath must be satisfied. That's why Jesus willingly went to the cross. So he lived a perfect life for us in obedience every single way because you sin, because you can't. And that's why we die, because we are sinners. And that is the penalty. So he lived the life that we could never live. And he willingly went to the cross and died the death we deserve to die, taking God's wrath upon him, propitiating, that is satisfying the righteous justice and wrath of God. So Hebrews 4 tells us this, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. The justice is served before the Lord. And then he substituted himself for sinners like you and me. Do you see how wonderful this is? You see why we can't bring anything? We're just saying there's nothing in our hand that we could bring to the Lord. Christ has done it all. If anybody ever tells you, here's what I'm doing for God, or I'm seeking to get, gain this from the Lord, you know that they're lost and they're not truly trusting in Christ because he has done it all. So every true Christian says, there's nothing that I bring, man. I'm relying completely on your grace and I'm at your mercy. And he's pleased to pour out his grace and love on us as he went to the cross. He substituted himself in our place, taking the punishment for sin that we deserve. That's the story of Christ. That's how deep his love is for us, that he saves us from Satan, sin, death, and hell. So we see very plainly in Scripture, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. First Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God of God. Amen and praise God. So it is through the intentionality of sinful men, their actions, the decisions they make were very intentional to bring Jesus to the cross, but it's through that that they put the king of death, or the king of glory to death, all according to the plan of God that we may be saved. That's the gospel and the essence of it. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we are in Christ. And how do we know that that's all true? Everything that I just said to you, how do we know that that's true? What confirms that? What shows that? The resurrection of Christ. Because we could say this all we want, and we could talk about grace, and we could talk about the gospel, and we could talk about... Say, there are other systems out there that sound pretty good just as well, right, don't they? They sound good, they sound good, but they're not authenticated. And they're not true. This is what authenticates. This is how we know the truth, how we know reality, that we can be 100% certain. Because after three days, on the first day of the week, that glorious Sunday morning when the women went to the tomb, he was not there. The tomb was empty. Let that sink in. I know we talk about that all the time. I know you understand that in our minds and perhaps even our hearts, but let that sink in, that the tomb was empty. Go to any graveyard, go to any tomb, Unearth it, there's still going to be something in that. Even if it's dust, there's still something there. This tomb was empty. He was raised from the dead. And it's so amazing and so overwhelming 
that even though he had told his disciples, his followers, many times, several times at least, I am going to raise, I'm going to be raised. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be um, falsely accused. I'm going to be punished, put to death. And on the third day, I'm going to ra- be raised from the dead. So they knew it going in. But what was the reaction when it actually, that happens, doesn't that? Like sometimes we know something. We'll know of an event that's going to happen or a diagnosis that we have, but until it actually hits, and when it actually hits, it's like we can't believe it. I just can't believe that it really happened, right? Do you know that? That's what this is like. That's, that's, they, they knew it, and yet, look at verses 7 through 12. It says this in, in our passage, or verse 8. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But check out this. This is mystifying. Well, not really. but But these words seem like an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Again, that's that, that's that stunned amazement, that unbelievable belief. You know, like, no, this just doesn't happen. You're not raised from the dead. How can that be? Right? Until it actually happens. He is the, the, the living Savior. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. So we should marvel at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It should blow us away every single time we think about it, that we have a, a living Savior, one who was raised. The grave could not keep him. And it authenticates, it shows that this is all true indeed. Even the enemies of Christ, what did they do? What did they do in light of the resurrection? They should have been on their knees and on their faces proclaiming Christ, but their sinfulness, they were even more hardened in their sin. Because what did they do? Do you remember? They went and they bribed the guards and they said, hey, look, when they come and talk to you about this, say his disciples came and took the body away because they will reject that king. They knew that he was raised from the dead, but they couldn't bear that truth in their sin. So even the lies among his enemies shows the depth of the resurrection. Listen, our entire faith hinges upon this event. You know this. We know this from 1 Corinthians 15, right? That's what Paul says. We have a living Savior. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Everything that we're doing, everything that we believe in is nothing. And you know what? That's going to be the end of every other religion, of every other philosophy, of every other system that's out there. That's the end. It is vain. It's useless. It's not going to be worth anything. It's not going to help you when you die and stand before your judge, when you stand before your creator and give an account. You think about that for a minute. You think about the implications of that. So if you're okay when other people say, well, you practice your religion and that's just fine, and I'll practice my religion and I'll be just good too. No, because that's vain. Because they don't have a Savior who is alive and they need Jesus Christ. They've sinned against this God and they need to be reconciled to him by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise God. That's why we don't settle. That's why we're not, quote, ecumenical in that way. But in the day and age we live in, you say something like that. You make these absolute claims to the authority of Christ, and what happens? Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're bigoted. You're narrow-minded. How dare you say that? How can you say that? 
How can you say that this very sincere person who's nicer than you, who does better things than you do, isn't going to go to paradise because he doesn't believe? Because he does not a living savior, because he hasn't been raised from the grave. The body could, the grave could not hold him. He is alive. And if he wasn't alive, if he wasn't raised, that we would just be like everybody else, just like the rest, just lumped in. So people try to lump in, oh, Christianity is just like every other. No, it's not. Many reasons, but this is a chief reason because Christ is alive and he's a living savior. He's been raised from the dead and we will give an account to him. The bodily resurrection of Christ does so, obviously it vindicates Christ. It validates the gospel and our faith. It proves, it demonstrates, it assures us that all of this is true, that it's not in vain, that it's not wasted time, that the consequences are real, that the truth is before us. This isn't just an exercise. It's not just to make us feel better. This is the truth. Death could not hold him. You understand? Why couldn't death hold Christ? It had no claim on his life because the penalty for sin, the consequence for sin is death. Christ is sinless. Therefore, the grave could not keep him. It didn't, he, he, he wasn't in debt to the, to, to the grave. It had no claim on Christ because he had no sin. That proves, that shows, vindicates the ministry, the person and work of Christ. The power of sin, death, are overcome, conquered, vanquished. So we need not fear death. So that's why as Christians, we're strong in the face of death. Are, 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 we, are we necessarily looking forward to it? Yes and no. No, but, but there, there are so many people, especially in the day and age we're living in, especially with everything going on around us, everybody's so afraid, so afraid, so scared, taking all the, they're, they're, they're like boarding themselves up because they don't want to catch this, and they are, they're afraid of that, because they're afraid to die. They're afraid of death. They're afraid to face death. We are not afraid. Death is, is vanquished. It's a, it's a vanquished fall. I'm not saying there's not like a fear of dying, and we can all have that, but we're not afraid of death, are we? Because we know what awaits us, because we have a living Savior who has conquered sin, Satan, hell, and death for us. Right? So you don't need to be afraid. If I come across Christians that are too afraid, then what's your problem, man? Where's your faith at? Of course, you know, we, we want to stay as long as the Lord would have us. Praise God, amen. It's sad when we lose a, a brother and sister in Christ. We know that. A husband, a wife, obviously. And we are to mourn in that way, but we're not afraid. If you're afraid, then you need to examine yourself because Christ overcame O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? His death, his resurrection from the dead also assures us that we're truly saved. Do you know that? In Romans 4.25, it tells us that he was raised for our justification. That's a big deal. It's a little verse. It's almost a tag on at the end of that section, but it's a big deal. He was raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. You know what that means? That assures us of our justification. That assures, because Christ is risen, it assures us, it assures you that you are accepted by God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to think. You don't have to hope. Oh, I hope because the resurrection says, yes, absolutely it's true that when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ, that you're counted as righteous. 
before God because of Christ, that your sins are pardoned, that you are forgiven truly, that Christ's righteousness is imputed, Christ's righteousness is stamped to your account because he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in, in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has accepted Christ's sacrifice for sins. The resurrection shows us that. So we have great assurance. We don't have to worry about, oh man, I don't know, or truly, am I really forgiven? Or like so many of, of those in, in the Roman Catholic Church, like the hope is to get to purgatory because I know that there's sins that still need to be dealt with before I can be made. No, his resurrection assures us that we are pardoned, that we are justified, that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the kingdom that's been prepared for you. And that overwhelming love that you are righteous, that our sins have been forgiven. He was raised for our justification. Do you see all this? See everything, how, how pivotal, how key, how foundational the resurrection of Christ is? It also assures us of our own resurrection, that we will too one day be raised, right? When we die, our soul goes to be with the Lord. The body rests in the grave until the resurrection and we will be raised to newness of life in Christ for all eternity. Amen, and praise God. That newness of life, just like Christ. Our conquering king, you know our king conquered the grave. He overcame the grave. This means everything to us, that he is the risen savior, that he's alive, and, and we know that in him we live. Praise God, amen. I could end the sermon right now, but it's still early. We still have more time to go. Because it's not all. Yes, he is risen. Amen. Praise God. But you know what? The king also commissions his church. He gives us something to do because we're risen in Christ, because he is the Savior. He tells us what we need to do as a church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You go, you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you. There's the power of the living and risen Christ. I am with you. All authority, I am with you. It's not our strength. It's not our own doing. It's in his power that we go forth. But we do go forth with that great commission of Christ. He commissions us. The risen Savior, see, if he was a dead Savior, there's no use listening to him. If none of this is true, okay, these are good principles to live by. You can, you know, try to love your neighbor as yourself, try to be a sweet person. No, 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 no. This is life and death. This is eternity. This is the gospel, right? This is heaven and hell that we're talking about here. So he commissions us as the church. We exist in large part as a church to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's primarily what we do, don't we? That's, that's a huge part. Now, it's not the only major aspect of God's people in the church, but what we do is we tell others about Jesus Christ. Who told you about Christ, right? Where'd they hear it? It comes from the proclamation of the word. It comes from telling others. That's the good news of the gospel, to preach Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I'm preaching Christ and him crucified. That's what I do. And he was crucified and he was raised from the dead. We have a living Savior. You remember the apostles, how afraid they were in the upper room when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them? What did they do in the book of Acts right away? They went out and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said, you need to repent and you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they preached it boldly, man. They went out there. And what did they keep preaching? 
the gospel of Christ, that you're a sinner, that you need to repent, believe, receive Christ, because he has been resurrected. Go ahead, read through Acts. We serve a living God. He was raised from the dead. He's alive, and that's the power behind it, because he is a living It's not a dead faith, man. Every other faith out there might seem alive, but it's a dead faith, because there's no living Savior, right? There's nothing there at the end of the day. People are always looking for that hope, and they're looking to this, and they're looking to that. At the end of the day, it's empty because it's dead. We have a living Savior. We have a gospel that's powerful. You see how emboldened those, those fishermen were, those tax collectors were, those cast-off, those ragtag group of men who were standing before the governors, who were standing before the priests and proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. You, sir, need to believe in Jesus Christ because He's the living Savior because he's been raised from the dead. It's a living faith. They went from being so fearful, little chickens, to being these bold and courageous ones willing to give it all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you? Are you willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, to preach it boldly as the Lord gives us opportunity? Yes, he's speaking to his disciples, but this is for all of us. As It's for the church to preach it. It's for all of us as the Lord gives us opportunity to share the gospel. And he gives us opportunity to share the gospel. Are we living our lives in light of that gospel and in light of that commission because our Savior is alive? Never be ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Yeah, sometimes we are. Sometimes we're embarrassed. Sometimes we're, we're fearful. Are you fearful? You know what Paul said to Timothy? He said, Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, of discipline. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's life-saving because he's a living Savior. Paul says, be willing to share with me in the suffering for the gospel's sake. That's more important than anything else in our lives. It's the gospel of Christ because it saves lives eternally and it changes things here for us. As you're transformed by the gospel, as you're transformed by the Spirit in Christ, your life changes and you that change shows up in your life, doesn't it? It's a power to save because he's a risen Savior. He's given us work to do, right? Praise God. He's also our ascended king. He's our ascended. Where did, where did Jesus go after this? Where is he now? He's in heaven. That's right. He, he ascended to the right hand on high. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is in his session. That's what that's called. Acts 1.9 tells us this. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So we know after he was raised. Some people say, oh, he's over there. Or Jesus is really, oh, he came back and he's living in them. He never really left. No, he ascended on high and they saw him. And the angel told him, okay, now go to work. Go start preaching the gospel. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what the angel told him that. Jesus now is enthroned on high. What's he doing? Is he just kind of waiting? Is he hoping that they... No, right now, Psalm 2, he is ruling. He is reigning. He is putting his enemies under his feet. He is in total control. He's interceding on our behalf. He's continuing. He's active, the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is ruling and reigning. That's why we call him King Jesus. He's not going to be a king when he comes... He is king now when he comes back. 
He's going to conquer for all, once and for all. Amen. Praise God. He is king. Ephesians 1.22 tells us so much. He put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church. And just before that in Ephesians, it talks about Christ ruling and reigning now. He is our king. We're not kind of on our own right now until Jesus comes back. He continues to rule, reign, lead, guide, direct, intercede on our behalf. He's in total sovereign control of all things. Christ reigns now, our ascended king. Amen? Praise God. This is all the benefit of the resurrection of Christ, that he is risen that we have life in him, that we're assured of our justification, we're assured of our own resurrection. He's risen, we're commissioned, he's ascended, and now what? He's coming back. Amen. He's coming in glory. Ah, the consummation. The king comes back in glory. That's the consummation. And we eagerly anticipate that actual event. Again, think about that. Try to comprehend that in your mind. What does the scripture tell us? When he comes back in uh, Revelation 1-7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, let it be so. Amen and amen. That's emphasizing the point of amen. Let it be. Let it be. This is the way it's going to be. Right now, they're playing around. You're playing around with the other religions. You're playing around with what you think you want to be and who you are. But when that king comes... And he's going to come as a conquering king this time on the steed and on the stallion, right? With justice in his right hand and judgment. When he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether in judgment or in salvation. But you will acknowledge him as king and as savior. Do you understand? He is coming. He is returning. So for us as Christians, we say what? Maranatha, come now, come quickly, Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, that's the last thing you want. You want life to kind of go on as it is. You don't want to have to deal with the Lord. You're not going to deal with, with those things. For us, we're looking forward to that. Not Christians are not. That's the last thing they want because when he comes again, if you're not in him, you will be judged. He will come. Every eye will see him. Do you believe that? Because he's the risen Savior. He's alive. He's not dead. Those other guys aren't going to come back. Other gods, are, they're, 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 the other prophets, they're in their graves. He's going to come back, and he's going to come back to judge the earth. And he's going to come back, and he's going to make all things new. This is beautiful. This is the Christian life. See it? Turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. So when he comes back, and this is the consummation... And again, you guys are just getting, this, just skimming over the surface of everything. There's so much here. But you need to know this and understand this. Because we have a living Savior, because he's not in the grave, because he is risen, we are assured of all these things. You understand that? And we need to live our lives accordingly. Because look what awaits us. In Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1 through verse 6, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is this too good to be true? No, it's not, because this is our living, risen Savior. And this is the promise and the hope that we have that goes way beyond this life, man. Your best life now? No, our best life is waiting for us in Christ and for all eternity. So live this life for Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Amen, and praise God. Go over to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, that takes us all the way back to Genesis, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Amen. That's us. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. We will rule and reign with Christ. Do you believe this? This is the truth. This is our future if we're in the Lord Jesus Christ for everything that we endure and everything that we go through. This is the hope that we have before the Lord. This is why we endure the pain. This is why we endure the sorrow of this life because we have a living Savior. We of all people have the most to be grateful for and to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should have that assurance and security because we have a Savior who loves us. We have a Savior who lives. Christ was challenged right away when his authority after he came into Jerusalem. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was rejected. He was crucified. And he was resurrected. Amen. He ascended to the throne on high. He's ruling and he's reigning now and he will return one day. Amen. That's a story. That's our story. In many ways, this is Christianity. And you know what? That is the actual. But there's also a picture of this in our own lives as Christians. And I do want you to hear this. In many ways, this is Christian. We follow in Christ's steps, don't we? If you're a Christian this morning, then you can expect to be loved one day. Oh, you're such a nice person. You're so wonderful. Until you start telling the truth about the gospel, about sin, about the need to repent and believe on Christ, about going to hell. Once you start that, are people going to still love you very much? Mm, Not really, huh? It gets tough, doesn't it? That's why we need to be bold. That's why we need to speak the truth. That's why we can't be ashamed, because we're following Christ's steps. Yes, initially, oh, you're so nice, Christian. Yeah, come in. But when you actually tell them the truth, when they know what you believe, when they know who you are, when you know the demands of the gospel on them, well, then maybe not so nice. You're going to be challenged. How could that be? Our faith will be challenged. You guys are crazy. You guys, you know, you're asking too much. You're too, you're too this. You're too that. You're too hard. 
You're too intolerant. What are you asking? You're going to be challenged, aren't you, on your faith? Why do you believe that? How can that be? So we are going to be challenged. Our authority is going to be challenged for sure. We're going to be betrayed. Jesus said, Matthew 10, members of your own household are going to turn against you because of Jesus Christ, if you follow him that closely. You always want to try to maintain that loving relationship as much as you can, but sometimes when the gospel comes, in, in the demands of the gospel, in the obedience to Christ, sometimes that causes separation and difficulty and tension with our own families because Christ is king, because he's a living savior, and we serve him above all else, even our loved ones. We don't make peace at the expense of the truth. You understand? At the expense of the gospel of Christ. So we will be betrayed. Well, I don't like you anymore. You know, I have nothing to say to you at this time because of what you believe. We will be, we will be um, mocked for sure. Go ahead. Tell people what you believe as a Christian. See, we're following in Christ's footsteps. You guys are silly Christians. You believe that fairy tale. You believe that myth. The Bible is just a myth, and everything that you believe is silly. It's a crutch for weak people like you. Yeah. How could you believe that? We talked about it last week. How could that death of a man 2,000 years ago on a cross in the middle of nowhere have anything to do with me today in 2022? How can that be? Silly. We are fools for Christ, aren't we? We are fools for Christ's sake. And we will be mocked. And we will be persecuted to one extent or another as as we're true to the gospel and we're living in an ever-increasing hostile society around us. So the more faithful you are to your faith, to what you believe, you can expect more repercussions. Absolutely. Not just within the families, not just within our circles, but also from society at large, the wider society, from the workplace. Well, if you don't sign this statement that you believe in LGBTQ, well, you don't have your job anymore. If you don't hold to to what the society's holding to in terms of of trans or CRT or whatever the latest sinful kind of action is against the church, well, you're not welcome here anymore. Are you ready for that? And it might get worse and worse. If they pass certain bills and certain laws, the very thing that I'm preaching right now, what I just said a second ago, will be considered hate speech and illegal. What are we going to do if it comes to that? See this? We're following in Christ's footsteps. How many Christians have been martyred over the years? How many Christians have been killed? We we, we only want to think about that, especially in the context in which we live. But you know how many thousands and thousands and millions of Christians have been martyred for their faith? because they said no to the world, because they said yes to Christ, because they would not capitulate, because they would not compromise. They did it to me, they're going to do it to you, Jesus said. Rejected, perhaps even killed, as we live faithfully, as we carry out our commission of calling a sinful world to Christ. And yet, we could expect as we are faithful, come what may, that we will be in his presence. That our our bodies will rest in the grave. Our soul will be with him until the resurrection. We will return to him. Our bodies will be resurrected. We will live, and as we just read, we will live and reign with 
Christ. So, so our lives as Christians mirror Christ in that way. Of course, he's king and head over all, but we are his followers, and we are to be imitators of Christ, and we are to follow in his footsteps, and we are to understand that all this is taking place. So for all that we do, the gospel that we preach, the rejection we face, the death we die, the life we live is because of Christ and in him. And we too will be raised in newness of life. And we too will be seated in the heavenlies with him. We too will rule and reign with Christ even as we worship him. We too will live for eternity in his presence. This is who we are. This is what we have because Jesus is alive.